Welcome to the Leadership Launchpad Project, where purpose-driven leaders unite to change the game of life and business forever. Here are your hosts, Susan Hobson and Rob Kalvaroski. Welcome to the Leadership Launchpad Project. I'm Rob Kalvaroski. On this week's episode, Dr. Amber Selking, the Vice President of Leadership and Culture Development at Lippert Components and the founder of Selking Performance Group, joins the show. We talk about the connection between high performance in sports and college football and business, how to build a successful winning culture, and how to step in a leadership position. I had a lot of fun with this episode. Amber does a lot of work with formerly the Notre Dame football team and now the LSU NCAA football team. And as some of you may know, I'm a huge fan, so I really enjoyed this one. If you haven't yet, please hit subscribe to the Leadership Launchpad Project on your favorite podcast platform, and please leave us a rating and review on Apple and Spotify. We really would appreciate that, and thank you so much for doing that. Also, if you have any folks who love leadership, business, and or football, please send them the podcast. We'd really appreciate them listening and also you sharing that with them. For us, we at Elite High Performance specialize in building high-impact leaders that turn their teams into happy high performers who crush their goals. So if you're interested in that, head on over to EliteHighPerformance.com for all your leadership development, one-on-one high-performance, conflict management, emotional intelligence, trust, and psychological safety needs. Everyone, thank you so much for listening, and here's the interview with Dr. Amber Selking. We are back. Welcome to the Leadership Launchpad Project. I'm Rob Kalvaroski, and as always, the yin to my yang, Susan Hobson, or maybe you're the yang to my yin. I can't remember. You anymore. keep getting those two confused, <laughs> I feel like. Susan Hobson, Susan, how are you? I'm the yang, buddy. I got to come in with all that energy. That's the yang energy. I'm fired up on all cylinders. I am so excited for our guest today. So let's go. Let's get this party started. And I mean, of, of course, I'm excited too. And uh, for folks out there, I mean, many of you know, I, I'm a huge college football guy. and even oh, had yeah. a chance to go this year to visit one of right. our leaders, Charlie Matthews, out in Tuscaloosa to check Ooh. out a, an Alabama game, which was incredible. So I'm pumped about this interview. And so we, I mean, obviously we have to start off with a quote. Oh, yeah. And I have one here from Lou Holtz, who is guy. an incredible coach, for obviously head coach at Notre Dame, or former head coach at Notre Dame. And he says that he is, there's a statue at Notre Dame with three words on its base, a statue of him. And the words are trust, commitment, and love. And he says about it, that's our foundation. And in leadership, that's all you do. (laughs) That's simple. (laughs) That guy was the OG of Leadership 2.0. I feel like he knew about this stuff long before we figured it out. So I love that. Thanks for bringing it. Absolutely. And it's it's something that I just wanted to mention, right? Like Wes Eugene on episode 100 talked about bringing love into the workplace. Uh-huh. And this is something that, I mean, Lou Holtz is not like 20 years old, right? Like he's been around a long time. And so why are we taking so long to transition into these new ways of leading? And uh-huh. even... What was it yesterday or the day before I posted an article I came across from the Stanford professor who was talking about the big tech layoffs around uh-huh. uh, it was a 120,000 tech across the big tech companies. And he was basically saying like layoffs literally kill people and your risk of suicide increases by 2x. But not only that, it also does not cut costs. <laughs> It uh-huh. does not improve productivity. So you're not even getting the benefit of the business. You're just punishing both parties. And obviously the inverse is also true, where if we treat people well, we're getting the stock returns, productivity, profitability. So anyways, going yeah. off on a rant here, 
But obviously, we're super happy and super pumped to have a special guest with us today, Dr. Amber Selking, the founder of the Selking Performance Group. And if you want to check out her stuff, selkingperformance.com. And she's also the host of Building Building Championship Mindsets Podcast and the mental performance coach at Notre Dame. Amber, how are you? Doing wonderful. How are you doing today? Great. And obviously, you've worked a bit with Lou Holtz. So tell us about him and tell us about that quote. Man, Coach Holtz is, I've been blessed to have him as a mentor in my life for the past, oh God, almost 10 years now, probably. And um, and it's just, you know, every time I get to sit, it's like sitting at his feet and just soaking up wisdom. Um, we, I'm actually working with L- LSU football now. Um, so I'm the mental performance coach for LSU. Worked with a pro team last year as well. Um, spent the last five seasons at Notre Dame. Um, but Coach and I, um, we uh, LSU played Purdue in Orlando, and Coach lives down there. And so I had a chance to have lunch with him just a couple weeks ago. And um, and and so just talking about life, love, and football, and that's that's usually the three topics of our conversation. And um, and and what is always so invigorating is by the time you leave his presence, like all you want to do is is just get better, right? Because um, he is such an incredible, he lives everything he talks about, you know, he uh-huh. lives what it means to love. He lives what commitment is. He lives what trust is. And, um, and it really just challenges you to, to want to grow as an individual. And so, um, it, there, he's always got some incredible nuggets that, that he leaves, whether it's again about life, love, football, leadership. Um, I guess that was, that's usually the other topic of conversation of leadership in different seasons. You know, I think when you have the the opportunity to work with leaders who have really walked the walked the walk before what i find most powerful in those conversations is like specific scenarios of how they thought about those moments and choices they made um because i think it gives us really good insight on how how we can do that better right um now and and get better faster as young leaders out in the world we I say that it. We talk about that all the time in NLP, like the model carries the most weight, right? And how Mm -hmm. amazing is that opportunity to work at the feet of somebody that is in such alignment and integrity and somebody who gets why love needs to be a value in any championship locker room, right? I want to rewind the game tape just a little bit, Amber, if I can. I want you to plug our audience into a little bit about you and how you came to this whole experience of working with, you know, athletes and leaders on the mindset side of the fence. Tell our our audience a little bit about that background. Yeah. So, you know, I was blessed to be raised in an awesome family where leadership was like what we practice since I've been three years old. My mom sent a picture out to our family group text yesterday of me and my brother doing a presentation on the fireplace when we were like five and eight years <laughs> old. And so, you know, I, and I commented back, like everybody thinks public speaking is just natural to all of us. No, yeah. we've just been presenting on things like the fireplace since we've yeah. been five. Literally. And, um, and so, you know, I learned very on that leadership is a skill. And my mom was about building life skills in us. And so I just, and we had a family business. My, my family had McDonald's franchises. And so I got to see that leadership applied in a business setting. Um, and, and then I was an athlete, I was a soccer player. And so, you know, I was always the kid that had the, the, team over to the house and we picked nicknames and designed our hoodies and, you know, uh, had our, had our quotes all the time up everywhere. And, um, and so I, I always knew I wanted to do something in leadership and leadership development and training. And so, you know, through college, I played soccer at Notre Dame, um, after, after college, I wound up getting cut injured, uh, my, my tore both my ACLs and my, career ended early. Um, and so I was like, okay, I'm going to lean into this leadership thing. And I got certified in John Maxwell's, um, you know, leadership training certification process. And I went to the big event down in Florida and I'm at this event and I'm thinking like this quote of John Maxwell, which, which I love and I firmly believe in. And I say it all the time is everything rises and falls on leadership. I believe that, Mm -hmm. but but you're at this conference with a lot of these people talking about this. And I'm thinking, 
you just don't seem like a great leader though. So it got me asking this question of like, well, if everything rises on falls on leadership, what does leadership rise and fall on? And, and that's what really led me to this concept of, of mindset. Right. And, um, what I thought I was doing as a, as a high school kid of quotes and team building and, and whatnot. Um, I learned that there was actually a science behind it. And so that sent me back to grad school. I have a master's and a PhD in applied sports psychology. And all that really means is it, you know, we come to learn how the brain works, how it impacts how we show up and then actually find ways that we can train our brain, just like we train our bodies as athletes, right. Mm -hmm. To deliver our best on a consistent basis when it matters most. And so to me, when you put the concepts of mindset and leadership together, that's when you can really create something special because leadership is really, in my perspective, about building a system and an infrastructure that is aligned and conducive with how humans perform their best, which is what you know we were talking about earlier. Like that, That's why love is important because humans are wired to thrive in a loving environment. Um, but you have to build that system that everything connects and supports and holds accountable to and disciplines toward the, the, those things that are important. But then you have to teach people inside of the system how to think right. And when you really come at it from that top down, bottom up and contextually relevant approach, I think that's when you can create really powerful organizations, really powerful sport teams, and quite frankly, really powerful family structures. Because it's all the same thing, just in different environments. Hey, that would be the only thing I want you to just speak to real quick off the heels of that riff. Is it that different leadership in a sporting context versus a business context? Is it different? Yeah. Everything you're just describing, does that apply across both boards? Oh, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. And it's, you know, and, and whether it's, I mean, I've been the vice president of leadership and culture for Lippert, which is a global publicly traded manufacturing company for the last five years. And, you know, whether it's on the the front lines of our manufacturing floor um, in a, a third world country like Tunisia, I mean, we're, we're applying these principles all over the world in a publicly traded company in a manufacturing environment. And then I get to do, I got to do that all day, you know, for the last five years. And then I go to football practice every night and it's just <laughs> like, all right, You know, when I say like top down, bottom up and contextually relevant, what I mean is it's the exact same stuff. You just have to change some of the language. The positionality of it is a little bit different, but human beings are human beings. And so it's not a sport thing. It's not a business thing. It's not an American thing. You know, when we go abroad, they're all like, oh, you can't do that over here. That's an American thing. Funny because we're both human beings, you know, it's not like I'm an American human being and you're a French human being. And so we're different. (laughs) I mean, but so you have to make it contextually relevant and culturally relevant, but the principles are the same. And when we do it, the only byproduct is human flourishing and organizational success because that's how it works. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the big difference is we as business leaders don't have to be in wildly good shape and uh, internationally, they don't tailgate about, about college football. It's usually about the other football. We have an earnings call tomorrow. Everybody tailgate, meet to tailgate in the morning. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. That's my favorite aspect of football, just saying. Uh, well, and, and that's the interesting thing when you're working in co- when you're working in football, you don't get to tailgate anymore. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. This is true. S- Susan, next year we got to get down to Baton Rouge on a Saturday yes. night game. That'll it's be unbelievable. That'll be <laughs> I'm I am jonesing over here. Like I used to go. I just like when I went down to the states to play hockey, my mind was like. We don't have tailgating up here in in Canada, okay? First of all, it's too damn cold in that parking lot <laughs> most of the time during the football season. But uh, but no, I just I, I was just in awe. Like, talk about a culture builder. You know what I mean? 100%. Like, get they're pre gaming in the parking lot and getting that morale high, so that by the time that team run, runs on that field. The vibration is where it needs to be. I think they told, this is what I love about parlaying the model of high performance into the context of business, right? Because boy, oh boy, do we seem not to get that aspect of how important the energy is for the cultural sake. Absolutely. Absolutely. And celebration. And I mean, that's the other hard part about business, right? Is the cool thing about sports is 
you get immediate feedback on if you were successful. And so whether you win or lose, it it really gives you uh, that focus and that motivation to reset, recenter, go back to work, get at it. And so I think that's another really important concept that leaders need to think about to your point, Susan, of bringing energy and, 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 and focus and importance to the workplace is we got to find ways to measure what we're doing. And and then we got to celebrate, you know, when we win and when we do great stuff, because then that makes us want to do more of it, you know, and not just like, Oh, let's celebrate. So everybody can be happy. I mean, literally like human beings, I mean, our, our, our endorphins change, our adrenaline changes, our cortisol levels change. I mean, all of our hormones start to shift in ways that generate more thought creativity that allow for more problem solving that minimize, um, you know, that, that, help protect against the heart, uh, the help protect the heart against heart disorder. Like, so when we wa- weave in some of these concepts of, of high performance, it's, it's about driving winning, you know, it's not just about making sure everybody's happy. Um, in fact, I think we've got that equation wrong. A lot of times, like we're going to make people happy. So we're gonna have like beanbag chairs and pizza parties <laughs> and yeah. all of these, you know, extrinsic factors that, Then because once you have pizza, then it's like, well, this isn't the best pizza in town. And these aren't the (laughs) kinds I like, you know, like happiness is always on the other side of of the outcome. And so, you know, what we really need to get better at is understanding what goes into the process that is really aligned with intrinsic self-determined types of motivations in humans. And when we integrate that into how we operate, man, people can't wait to, and then the outcomes just come, right? It's like we celebrate because it's awesome. But like, what we really want to do is get back to doing what we do, you know, for the next one. I love that. And a question I get a lot is, you know, how do you hold people accountable for the highest performance while still showing that you care and love them? Would you like to talk about that? Yeah. Well, first of all, I think when we talk about accountability, immediately people are like, what are the rules and the discipline when you don't abide by the rules, right? That's mm-hmm. what people think about I, when we use that word. And really accountability, we say all the time, accountability is doing what you're supposed to do when you're supposed to do it to the standard that you're supposed to do it. That's true accountability. And mm-hmm. when you have everybody being accountable really, really good things happen. Mm-hmm. And so when people fall below that standard, then what are the the consequences or how do you help them like understand what's happening? We had Jocko Willett come and talk to the team a couple years ago. And we were on this thing about not just self-accountability because you got to start there, but then it's like, okay, now how do we hold now collectively, how do the players start to hold each other accountable? Because mm-hmm. that's where magic happens when the coaches yep. are doing it, it's the players. Totally. And so one of our, one of our captains, he asked, like, you know, how do you hold people accountable? And, you know, Jocko Willis talked like this. And he literally just got done telling a story about how, you know, when adversity happens, we cut its head off and put it on a stake outside our bedroom. So we're all, you know, we're all waiting for like how you hold people accountable is like, hold them under the water until they almost die and then resurface them and ask them if they're ready to like rejoin the ranks. And, and so you know, that's what we're waiting to hear. And he goes, he goes, well, first of all, you just come alongside of them and you ask him, how can I help you? Because if somebody's not pulling their weight, something must be wrong. And he said, when you come alongside of somebody and you help them, you learn very quickly if they're committed or not. Because if they're committed, once they get their feet under them, they're going to come back and they're going to re-engage and lock Mm -hmm. in and, and pull even more weight. He's like, but if they're really slacking and they're not committed to what we're doing, they're going to be like, oh, everybody else going to do this for me? All right. He's like, and that's when you know you cut them off the team mm-hmm. and you cut them out. And so we have a phrase at Lippert that we talk a lot about. We coach them up or coach them out. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's where a lot of people really struggle is, well, if I'm if I'm a if I'm a positive leader, right, if I'm a, a leader that's grounded in love, then I can never let anybody go. And we, you know, we all know that discipline is important for people to learn and grow and people have to make their own choices. And so I believe that if we give them the opportunity to teach them, to give them the resources that they need to be successful and they choose to not use those and engage in this process, then they need to go somewhere else. And, and maybe it's just not the right fit for them to be with us, which is also fine. Um, I read a really cool article from, um, 
a former CEO of Panera one time, and it was titled, I wish I would have fired more people. And basically, <laughs> oh the, the summary of the article was that he said, I, in, in what I thought I was doing to be nice and kind to people, I kept people on for way too long. Yeah. I kept mm. them in roles where they couldn't thrive. I, I withheld them from being from organizations that really fit with who they were and what they wanted to be. And, and so what I, again, what I thought I was doing as a nice person was actually inhibiting their full human potential. And so I always try to keep those things in the back of my mind when I'm, you know, working with a challenging team member, um, you know, in, in that process. But I think that to me is we really have to understand what accountability is and then make sure that we have the right infrastructure in place so that people know, have the tools and resources to do what we're asking them to do and then coach them up or coach them out. I get that question a lot, I feel like, from people who are trying to understand this whole like leadership 2.0 space, like, oh, I have to be empathic and caring and loving, right? So it's like, how do I step up and challenge people? Well, can we just remember that that's also an expression of love and care? When you hold somebody accountable or you get up in their cage and shake it and say, you could do better than this, what's going on, you know? That's, yeah. that's I feel like, where people's mindsets need to be rewired, right? Is thinking 100%. that holding somebody accountable to their commitment and to the standards of excellence is somehow not an expression of that care. Yeah, we have a is. phrase in positive coaching, like co coaches hear positive coaching and they're like, oh, right. <laughs> yeah, holding right. hands by the end of the day with Dr. Right. Yeah. And, um, and, and the phrase is positive coaching is demanding, but it's not demeaning. And there's yeah, a difference. Coach Holtz always good. says, you criticize mm -hmm. the performance, not the performer. Mm -hmm. um, we have one of our leadership development directors. He uses the phrase, you got to call out and call up. Like, mm -hmm. hey, you know, you're, you, you know, I know that you care about your people, but man, every end of the month that comes, all I see is numbers, 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 and you steamroll your people. Like, that's not, that's not who I know you are. Why does that happen? And all mm -hmm. of a sudden people are like, oh, you see that in me? You know, you mm -hmm. see that good in me. And sometimes, you know, the good inside of us is it's our good. So it seems natural to us. We don't even mm -hmm. necessarily recognize it as good. So mm -hmm. when somebody else calls that out, it almost is like, oh, that's a thing that that is unique to me. And I can lean into that. And I need to as a leader. Mm -hmm. And so um, that whole call out, call up thing, I think, is a really effective practice when trying to have those actual challenging conversations with people to inspire them to another level versus feeling like you're just judging and criticizing them. Yeah, that's definitely one of my favorite moves as a mindset leadership coach, right? It's speaking to the potential. Like you're yeah. better than this. Like you, this is where I see you right here. And then it's like, you do. And that, that part of them just comes alive and comes front stage center. Right. Like, totally. so I, I think that's a wicked maneuver. I, I have a question in and around. So what do you do with those players who maybe are pulling their weight, but are running on a side of maybe having a slightly inflated ego, you know, the ones on every team, the ones that like score the most points or get the most ice time in my sport. Um, yeah. When we're talking about all of this in terms of love and bringing everybody together, obviously that type of all-star individual contributor can be a little bit disruptive to that type of culture. Right. So I'm curious in your mindset coaching toolbox, like how would you approach this? Because I know this is also a question I'm getting asked a lot lately. Right. Which is like, Listen, we're headed into a downturn. I've got this all-star. He's putting points on the board, but I'm worried, right? Because he's obviously disrupting the, the, the trust and, and the trust in my leadership because maybe I'm not holding him accountable to some of those same standards. How would you approach that type of individual? Well, I think, honestly, everything rises and falls on leadership. And I think it starts with the the same standards have to apply to those individuals because, you know, what I've seen is, you can have really, really talent, talented individuals, um, but ultimately not make the team better because mm -hmm. of that. And, mm -hmm. and I see so many leaders and coaches be like, well, but he's so good. You know, it's like, well, he's the best welder or he's, but he's the best wide receiver. And, mm -hmm. and yet on a day-to-day -day basis, 
they're the ones that, you know, aren't showing up or are late or are, you know, bring, bring this negative attitude or when they're, when things are good, they're great. And when things mm-hmm. are not good, they're just bringing that negative energy. And mm-hmm. if you allow that to happen, it really degrades the rest of the team um, that, that is going to be successful. So I think that is a piece of it in terms of working with those individuals. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously every setting is different, but I think that's the beauty of when you're embedded with a team or an organization where he or she has to, um, be going through all the training that everybody else is going through. So they're getting this information. And honestly, you know, when things are going really well for high performers and they are already wired to be strong-willed and strong-minded, they often aren't in a place to listen or to hear until something actually goes wrong. And, <laughs> and I think, on it. And, and I think being okay with that, I mean, you know, I, I, because at the end of the day, I want all of my people to walk around really, really confident. And, mm-hmm. and but I want that confidence to be grounded in something. And so, um, you know, it's awesome when people are open and willing to talk about having grounded confidence in their identity and these things, like when things are going well. But for really, really high performers, they're not they're not willing to be vulnerable enough to talk about that when things are going really well. And so I think just being all right with that. And as long as they are not disrupting, like I said, the point A here, then, you know, encourage them, call some things out when you can, maybe make a joke about some things. I mean, I think, you know, it's, it's, it's a challenge to do that, but then, because they're going to have a moment though, where they question themselves, where um, they want to ask a question and you have to be the person that they can trust to come to, to like be vulnerable, that they know exactly. you want fun of them, that you want, oh, like, oh, now you want to talk about it. Right. Yeah. You can't, you can't do that because they're, yeah. you know, that's a really big move for um, high performers to express vulnerability. And so um, I think as a mindset coach, you've got to be very sensitive to that and make it sort of no big deal, but mm-hmm. a huge opportunity for them to find a whole new layer of their greatness. And it's pretty cool, you know, just the transformation that I've seen, whether it's when kids go through injury mm-hmm. um, and it sort of like they realize that their sport could be over really mm-hmm. at any time. Mm-hmm. And so maybe they should think a little bit differently about how they approach every day, you mm-hmm. know, um, or they don't have the season they thought they were going to have. And they're not really sure why. Yeah. <laughs> and so they've got a lot of questions. And so I think you, you have to be patient enough to wait for those moments sometimes as well. <laughs> That's what we always talk about the brick wall or the glass ceiling. Brick walls and glass ceilings. I wish it were different for our high achieving folk, but <laughs> somehow needs to always be that pain that acts as the catalyst to the untapped potential being. I literally out. pray about that a lot. I'm like, God, can you just like help me learn something without it having to be so Upstream. dramatic? <laughs> <laughs> Upstream, please, Lord, yes. help me. <laughs> Let me get a sight line on this. I know, right? Like, good oh. Lord. Uh, it has to be dramatic for me to be like, oh, what? Oh, that's what you've been saying for the last year. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, they say it's a gust of wind, right? Before it it starts to compound and all of a sudden it's a brick against the face or across the head. I think Oprah said that one. Oh, yeah. goodness. What do we say to our leaders out here as a bunch of like ex-athletes in this locker room today? I feel like this is my favorite time to coach in the mindset space, right? Is like when all the supposed disruption is headed our way, you know, this is definitely the theme of my conversations thus far in 2023, right, is the economic downturn. Mm -hmm. And we all know how that can hit people's nervous system, right? But what's our counsel to all of our leaders out there listening, trying to know how to prepare for that resiliency? I feel like this is one of the best lessons I took from sports, you know, in terms of lessons around high performance. But what did you what would you say to those leaders out there who are bracing themselves for this next chapter? Yeah, 
I was just in Philly a couple of weeks ago with a financial organization um, talking about this and, and talking about this concept of resilience. And, you know, through 2020, that was like a big thing. Like, you know, everybody wanted to talk about resilience. Mm-hmm. And uh, the reality of it is, if you wait to talk about resilience when you need resilience, mm-hmm. you're screwed. <laughs> you know, and there's some really good research out there about like stockpiling resilience and things that you need to be doing. Um, to prepare for hard times, like Mm -hmm. that has to be our mentality. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and then if you have been right, if you've been leading yourself, well, leading your team, well, leading your business, well, then you don't have to succumb to the narrative of the world that this is going to be the worst thing ever. Businesses are going to be shredded. Like you're going to, you know, your whole, uh, uh, financial, nest egg that you've built up is going to be deplete. Like, I mean, that's, that's what the world is thinking right now. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. quite frankly, that might be true for many of them because they haven't prepared. They haven't Mm -hmm. been living well, leading well, loving well in ways that will prepare you for this journey that's ahead. And, um, and it's really cool this, the, this week and next week, um, at Lippert, we're doing our like annual uh, leadership celebration awards with our front, like frontline leader type awards. And, and the whole message is we're going into a really hard season and we're ready for it. And everybody, everybody just prepare mentally that this is going to be challenging, Mm -hmm. but we're ready and we have each other. And so we need to like, think clearly, we need to make good decisions. We need to continue to steward things wisely Mm -hmm. and, and we're going to weather this storm together. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, people want to be led, but there's Mm -hmm. such lack of good leadership in the world. And and a lot of times it's just giving people the right ways to think about what's going on in their world and contextualizing that for them. Because in the absence of a story, the brain will make up its own. And so a lot of times through crisis, leaders' main job is to communicate truth and and clarity in in simple ways um, that cast a vision of where we're going, but also is like short-term and pragmatic of like, okay, and this is what we're going to do next. Whether it's, I mean, I remember in in COVID, you know, we were, we would literally change course five times a day. I mean, we would have (laughs) this like telephone call from chain from the CEO to the front lines that's like, we're doing this way. And then yeah. literally you get a call 30 minutes later. It's like, nope, this direction. <laughs> and, 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 but that requires trust, right? That requires that, you know, your industry so mm-hmm. well, this is mm-hmm. also where leaders are going to get exposed because they don't know what the hell they're doing. Ooh, and, um, speak on that. Yeah. That's I definitely mean, some of how we try to prepare people upstream. Yeah. Right? But speak on that for a second, if you would. I mean, character and competence, right? Well, when I hire people, I always look for three C's, right? Character, competence, and cultural fit. And um, and if you don't have one of those three things, eventually it's it's like a three-legged stool. It's going to tip over. And that competence piece is really important, particularly in challenging times, because um, you you have to know your industry and your space so well that you can make decisions quicker than everybody else um, and and informed, right, to protect your people in some capacity. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I just think that that's a really important, whether it's, you know, football or whether it's manufacturing. I mean, I think that's the that's been the blessing of working with Coach Kelly for the last, I mean, he's been a head coach for 34 years, like a head coach, you know? And I mean, that's crazy. That's legacy right there, man. Holy. And so, like, you want to talk about, like, there isn't really a situation or scenario that he hasn't seen or, (laughs) like, managed. So he's just really unflappable in any situation or scenario. And the cool thing is, though, but he's still learning, you know, and Mm. he still wants to grow and learn to think about things differently. So I just think it's, it's been really neat you know, being able to work with some really young first time head coaches and, and him and seeing how that comes into play, you know, Mm -hmm. and I'm not saying being a young, like I'm a young leader. Right. So, but then what does that mean? Man, you got to surround yourself with people that have seen some stuff and Mm -hmm. can give you wisdom. And I think like when you have that, um, it's, it's really powerful in that resilience conversation, but, but you've got to prepare for it. And then this, and then this is like the main point of like not listening to the world. You have to trust that you're prepared. 
Uh-huh. And be confident in that. Like I, it's like it's like you you've seen athletes like they're they're built like a Greek god or goddess, and it's like they're so good and like yeah. the elite of the elite. And then they get to competition day, and they're like, oh, I just don't know what. Yeah. Like, totally. Oh my totally. god. They're buckling. How you not be confident. Yeah, I know so, because confidence has nothing to do with the external folks. Uh-huh. If you're you're paying attention to us today, at least it. It shouldn't, and if it does, well, buckle up, Buttercup, because here we go on the roller coaster, <laughs> right? <laughs> but we, so. you know, we say all the time that at the end of the day, confidence is a choice because confidence is just a thought. We've made yeah. it a feeling, but it's really a thought. And like and if you're prepared and have fueled the things that drive confidence, then choosing that is a very logical choice, mm-hmm. and you've got to choose it and trust your choice and go. And mm-hmm. um, and and that's you know, where great leaders, I think, thrive in resilient, in, in challenging situations and where organizations cannot just survive those times, but actually come out as a better version of themselves. That That's key right there. It's all right. Connecting back to big S self, which one of the pillars or one of the C's in big S self is confidence, but we got to get into the pocket now. <laughs> so, I knew this was coming. Amber, you know, you mentioned you work with Coach Brian Kelly, and where I want to go with this is like a lot of folks, obviously, like there's turnover in jobs, people leave, their leaders leave, you get new leaders, and like Coach Kelly, you know, last season went to LSU uh, and left Notre Dame. So I guess how do you coach a leader who's stepping into a new team environment, and like what are some of the things that they should be doing to sort of build that trust and love and that foundation on a new team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, there's a lot of things, right? But uh, two that immediately come to mind just for simplicity's sake in this podcast, um, I had the chance to sit down with Era Parsegian before he passed, literally like a month before he passed. And we were sitting around talking about life, love, football, and leadership. And um, and I asked him that, like, how do you, because at that point, it was year one for me with Coach Kelly at Notre Dame. And basically, he, he had a brand new staff. Like he, they had a four and eight season. He kept his job. And basically turned over a whole new staff, Mm -hmm. right? Of people that he'd never, some people he'd worked with, but many he hadn't. And so I asked Ara, like, you know, how do you go building like a staff? And he just made a comment that there's no substitution for time. And I think spending time with your core leadership group Um, One, getting to know them as people and sort of like how they're wired. And you can be even more intentional by making people take some personality assessments and really understanding how people are wired so you can lead and coach and challenge and understand why they do certain things when they do it so that you can coach them better instead of like judging them. And um, and but it's 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 also them getting to hear you talk about your philosophies and your expectations and how you think and how the program is going to run. And so I think the 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 time and uh, presence with your people is really important. But then I also think this is where I've seen a lot of leaders struggle is they don't really have a system that that they that they run, you know, or that they use to lead their organization. And again, you have to contextualize it, but what do you believe leads to success? Like, you know, what's the mission of the organization? What are, what's the process that will lead to accomplishing that mission? What are the core values of that, of, of your organization? Like those sort of organizational principles um, that need to be in place, they might look and feel different for different teams. And they'll certainly look and feel different for different leaders. I think sometimes people, you know, when they hear about the work I've done with coach Kelly and his is just like, obviously the most high profile. Cause like you said, you know, <laughs> I mean, sports are just high profile, but this is what I do with every leader. And yeah. like, they'll be like, well, that, well, that's Brian Kelly's system. Yeah, it is. And it looks and sounds like Brian Kelly cause it's Brian Kelly's, mm-hmm. but like, you know, if it's, Marcus Freeman's or if it's if it's you know Sarah Hobson's like it's gonna look and feel and sound if it's Amber Selkins right it's gonna look and sound like 
like ours. I mean, my husband, God bless him. We have a vision statement, a mission statement, core values. Oh my gosh. Wow. You know, I mean, in it, that's integrity right there. Right. Yeah. Example starts in the home. He knows every time we take a road trip too. I pulled up on notes on my phone and we check in and see how we're doing. Love it. Um, but like, you know, so, so you have to make it your own, but then when you go yeah. into a new place, you can talk about your system, your process. And what this allows everybody to do is just get alignment. And so, because it, sometimes you don't have the luxury of time, like you have to win and you have to win now, whether oh. again, it's in the locker room or the boardroom or in your family. Right. And that's where having a system and a process that you can articulate and repeat and put out there allows others to get on board with that and move in the same direction. That also then allows you to that accountability conversation we had earlier. Mm -hmm, That's what you then hold people accountable to, you know, because Mm -hmm. it's like, hey, we said we were going to be positive coaches or positive leaders. And like you mother effing a kid out there on a Thursday is not in alignment with that. So come on, you're better that you're a better coach than that you know, and then it's, then you're on and they're like, all right, okay, this is how we're going to do it. So I would say those things of time with your people. And then what's your system, what's going to help you accomplish that. And can you articulate it in a way that other people can get on board, understand it, get excited about it and follow it. I love that. And and I guess I want to go deeper because like we had uh, Ron Carucci on last week or Maybe it was two weeks ago in podcast world. Mm -hmm. Um, But (laughs) basically he was talking about like developing yourself as a leader so you can step into a higher role and how being, you know, VP level is different than being CEO level. And I mean, just coming off the Marcus Freeman example, right? It's like he was defensive coordinator and now he's the head coach. So how do you coach a leader from going that I guess, from that VP level to the CEO role. Yeah, I I joke about this all the time. There's a really good book out there. there, There's a book out there. I don't know if it's really good. It has a really (laughs) good title. I've never read it. (laughs) But the title of the book is, and I said, and so I joke about this a lot. The title of the book is, What Got You You Here Won't Get You There. There. I love that. And so, you know, I think that that's something that's really important, whether it's a high school athlete going to college or college to pros or VP to CEO or coordinator to head coach, you're really good. And that's gotten you here. But if you want to take that next step, we have to understand what does that role actually entail? And so I think that um, we do what we're, we tend to do what we're really good at. And so, but a lot of times when you take that step, you have to relinquish control of those things that you've been really good at, Mm -hmm. that perhaps you've wrapped your identity around, that you've built your credibility around, that is maybe even the reason you got the promotion. Um, and quite oftentimes it is, right? But in that next level, there's more stuff that you have to be aware of and um, and and have your finger in. And so I think, one, helping leaders understand that what are the things you're going to need to relinquish control over and how does that attach to your identity? Um, okay. and, and then, so then what do we replace that with? I think that's the biggest, that's the challenge then. Okay, well, if I'm not doing that, what am I yeah. supposed to be doing? Mm-hmm. You know, because um, leaders are, are they're, they're doers too, you know, and mm-hmm. they want to be really good. And so if we remove something, we have to replace it with something as meaningful. And so I think really identifying what are those critical success factors in their new role that they need to participate in and to, to manage. Um but then that requires that whoever you have on your staff is high character, high competence, and the right cultural fit, or it, it sort of blows itself up. So th- those are a lot of the conversations that that we have, and it and it happens all the time. I mean, one of our coordinators went to to be a head coach somewhere else, and he said he called Coach Kelly up, and he's like, um, "I would just like to apologize to you for any time that I ever judged or criticized anything <laughs> that we did or didn't do as a staff because yeah. I had no idea what all else you were doing, you know? And now that I'm in this seat, I realize like, oh, this is what a head coach is doing, right? <laughs> and there's just so much more in, involved in it. Um, and it takes a little bit different skill set, but you can certainly do it. You just have to be aware of it. 
feel like this is why we talk so much about why mindset has to be such a critical aspect of your leadership development and training, why we talk about it similar to training our brain, right? We call it getting in the mental gym. Like every leader should be doing this type of thing for sure, because it is, it, it's, it, it, this is behavioral based. These are yeah. skills that take time and discipline and commitment to be able to develop. And no, you don't want to just go reach for it now in the crisis. Please, if you heard anything on this show, listen up to that, <laughs> right? But uh, I love it. This has been so good for our audience to plug into, Amber. The place I want to land this plane, because you are a well of knowledge, is this. With the, your personal leadership mission that you are on in this world, what do you want your legacy to be? Mm, good question. Um, you know, I... <clears throat> I would love people like at the end of it all, right? To to it my legacy to be about excellence and you know equipping people um to do it themselves. Like I I I believe in the power of our mind and the power of the human spirit. Um and so, you know, I want to be an energizer to people. Um, but I don't want people to ever be reliant on me as a, you know, it can be a catalyst, but it can't be the sustainer of that because mm. Um, you know, I want people to think back and be like, wow, she inspired me, but she also left me with some tools and strategies that have allowed me to build my own legacy in, in some capacity. And so, you know, I led Notre Dame Christian athletes at Notre Dame after I got cut from the soccer team. And I worked with a sports psychologist. I went to a session with him and he was like, you know, your legacy now but Notre Dame is not about being a soccer player. So what is it going to be? And they offered me this leadership role of Notre Dame Christian athletes, even though I wasn't technically an athlete. And I was like, well, this is it. I'm going to build this yeah. into, like the biggest thing ever. And this will be my headstone. And then all of a sudden, like, you know, I go into my senior year and I realize, like, I'm graduating, you know? And then yeah. it's like, and then this thing that I've built, which is awesome, it's just going to go away. And that's when it clicked in my brain. Like, man, the mark of a good leader is somebody that when they leave, there's something that other people can take a hold of, can make it their own. And like, they can put their name on that rock as well. And, and so, you know, we built a leadership team and like had a new president and it's still like 12 years later, it's like still a sustaining organization in our athletic department that every year new kids come in and it's like theirs, you know? And, and so I think that that to me is um, something that I'd like to leave for people. That's amazing. Yes. And folks, for anything from Dr. Amber Selking, obviously you can head on over to selkingperformance.com. You can download her podcast, Building Championship Mindsets. And, and we'll drop Amber's LinkedIn in the podcast notes. Is there anywhere else you'd like folks to follow you or find you? Um, you know, I'm on social media at champ mindsets, um, on social or on Twitter and Instagram or on Facebook at soaking performance. And then I released a book last year too, called winning the mental game, the playbook for building championship mindsets. And, you know, that's really our foundational mindset program that teaches people how their brain works, how it impacts, how they show up. And it's, it's truly a playbook. Right. Um, and one of our guys last week, you know, said in a team session down with the guys, um, to the younger guys, he's like, guys, like this is truly a playbook and you can run each play individually. But when you start running them together in terms of how you think and how you navigate success and failure and practice and a good rep and a bad rep, and you know, it, it's going to change how you operate. And so, you know, every, every play has some training that you can do with it. And what I've just found is that it really um, gives people a sense of personal responsibility and accountability to take control back to their own lives and to not be like, well, that's my coach's fault or my leader's fault or the government's fault. It's like, okay, well, let's think differently about that. And so, you know, I think that could be a good resource for people as well if they're interested to learn more. I love that. And Absolutely. we'll drop that in the podcast notes. Obviously for us, please hit subscribe to Leadership Launchpad Project on your favorite podcast platform. And for all things leadership development, Conflict management, mindset coaching from Susan and I head on over to EliteHighPerformance.com. Susan, is there anything you'd like to leave folks with today? Mm -mm, mic drop. I feel like this is why we wanted, we were so excited for Amber to be on the show today, right? Like Rob and I, when 
We first started this show, got getting on our mission to change the way the game's being played forever through Leadership 2.0, which is this new school, progressive style of leadership, which we're trying to make the case on up here north of the border, really starts with mindset. And I feel like, yes, mic drop. We really made the case today, right? In terms of, I don't even know if you can really call yourself a leader if you're not getting in that mental gym and exercising some of the plays from this playbook. I'm just so grateful that we had Amber in to help us make that case. Yeah, I love it. And and obviously, the mindset is the key aspect to unlocking all of these things. And mm -hmm. I literally had a conversation on LinkedIn this morning about imposter syndrome. And we had it with, you know, on episode 100. And it's all mm -hmm. about what do we truly believe about ourselves? And how does that set us up for being the person we want to be? And, and so, I, you know, just yeah. if I can just add a thought here too, yeah. you know, I think the term mindset, it's such a buzzword today that people just think like mindset, mindset, mindset. But like, yeah. I think what people need to understand is that mindsets are actual protein patterns that get wired into your brain and change how your brain functions. And so, and what builds mindsets are thoughts. And so thoughts are not these ephemeral things that float around in our head. Thoughts are actual like neurological signals that get sent from our brain through our neurons into our bodies to, to, to make it do things. And repeated thoughts, thoughts we think over and over again, whether it's the, to, to your point of imposter syndrome is simply like, I don't actually know if I'm good enough to be in this role, right? Like every time a person thinks that thought, it's like a bicep curl for their brain and they wire that protein pattern into, into their mind and build a mindset and mm -hmm. to, to keep keep it even more simple. A mindset is like an Instagram filter, right? You could have the exact same picture, but if you put a black and white filter over it, it looks totally different than if you put a high definition filter over it. And so as a leader moves from one role to the next role, if they've built a mindset of being an imposter, that black and white filter is going to get slapped over their brain and everything they do is going to be sh tainted or shaded through that lens. Whereas if someone has built a mindset of, man, I've prepared myself, I'm, I'm going to have a lot to learn at this next level, but I'm going to be able to do it, you know, and, and, and they, the world needs me to step into this leadership role, man, when they get that promotion, that's the Instagram filter that gets put over that experience for them. And we show up differently. And so, you know, mindset isn't just something we can talk about, you know, it's really something we need to understand um, is happening in your body. And the most beautiful part is you have control over it. So, um, what we, and what we wire in, we can wire out just like when we stop lifting weights, our biceps get smaller. When we stop repeating negative, unhealthy, unproductive ways of thinking, they get mindsets that those protein patterns get smaller and we can literally replace them with right, helpful, healthy, productive ways of thinking through those repeated thought patterns. And so just to, so for our audience to really understand, like, is there just like buzz things we're talking about? Yeah, like, exactly. <laughs> this is hardcore science, yeah. people. <laughs> Hence why we also have folks on here to talk I about psychedelics, you. but that's another story for another day. <laughs> I want to, I want to leave off on a quote. So I have another quote here from Lou Holtz and he says, if you're going to be in a leadership role, your organization, your obligation is to make people the best, the very best they can be. And that's going to happen when you raise their self-image, then raise their standards of what they believe in themselves. Mm -hmm. Amber, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for the work that you are both doing in the world. I'm excited to see you continue to change the world because that's what we're doing. Absolutely. Everyone, thank you so much for listening and we'll see you all next week. Bye everyone. Bye.